welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We are broadcasting from the Morton studio. And today on the show, we're going to get some tips from top producers, top farmers. And let's see, I believe the guests we're going to have on are all from the United States. But these would be tips from top growers really anywhere. So if you'd like to call in, if you've got any suggestions for us, any things you've found on your farm to increase yields, love to hear from you as well. Our phone number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. Before we do, I, I want to again let you know next week, Neil Kinsey is going to be right at the site of the Ag PhD field day in the Morton Center doing a three-day seminar on soil and fertility. So I'd love to have you join us for that. You can go online to agphd.com to check that out. I believe the in-person attendance is all booked up now, but you certainly can join us virtually. Uh, We do have one more workshop coming up yet this winter as well. That's about a month from now. It is March 16th our Ag PhD tiling clinic. We are doing a tiling clinic because drainage, as always, is super important. Now, I realize you might be in a dry area right now. I think we're in the extreme drought area. We're actually in the extreme cold area, too, because it's been below freezing for like a week, or I shouldn't say below, just below freezing, below zero for like a week straight now. So, and I, I don't mean zero Celsius. I mean zero Fahrenheit. It's ridiculous. I was telling some people last night, um, yeah, the outside temperature last night was over 30 degrees colder than my freezer. So it was ridiculously cold. But anyway, uh, drainage is important. And if you say, well, boy, I'm dry, so I don't have to worry about it this year. Yeah, you might not for this year. But the best time to put drainage improvements in, the best time is always in a drought. Just like the best time to put irrigation in is when you're having flooding. So you get the best deal when nobody else wants to do it. And also, like right now, it's so easy to get into any of the areas that might have had to go prevent plant or just, you know, you've had replant issues, any of that kind of stuff. Now you've got the opportunity if you happen to be dry. So anyway, again, uh, Ag PhD Tiling Clinic, March 16th. Next week, Neil Kinsey will be here at Baltic. So just go to agphd.com to learn any more about that. And right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. This question from Todd in Illinois. I thought this would be a great one to start with, Brian, because he begins his email by saying, I'm a lot like Brian. I want to fix all my problems in one go in order to improve my soil health ASAP. The boron levels in many of our fields are extremely low and need attention. We're considering adding liquid boron this spring mixed with our pre-chemicals and we cultivated in right before planting. Just curious, do you see any concerns about mixing boron in with pre-chemical applications? He's got four questions. This is question one. Well, first of all, I was wondering what awesome thing he was going to throw out there where he had similarity to me. But anyway. He said he averages about <laughs> a half a part per million boron. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyway, we, we've, we struggle with a lot of things on our farm. Boron is one of them. And and if you want to throw some with the chem, you absolutely can do that. We've done plenty of that in the past. We just weren't getting far by throwing, let's say a quart of boron out. Now, 
That's I not to I say got it more wasn't. Questions I know, but the, I'm just saying it's not to say it wasn't to impact yield. Um, here's my point. We, we got to always think about what we're going to spend versus what's the yield gain. So before I tell you, oh, go do this on all your acres, even if your soil test says low, I would tell you, let's get started and see what happens and see if it pays. Try it on a small scale first. Okay. So then next question, how many pounds per acre would you feel comfortable applying in a spring liquid application? I'm thinking between a half a pound and a pound and a half in the yep. worst fields. Wonder yep. if you'd go higher. I just, again, look at that cost factor. If right. to get a pound costs you $15, eh, I don't know how excited I am about that, but no, you, you now, can do it cheaper with dry. Yes, and and here's the next thing: if you're in a dry area like like us, okay, we have heavy soil, we're dry, and our ground's frozen five months out of the year. So the odds of us losing all our boron in a single year are slim to none. I mean, chances are boron in our soil is going to stick around for quite a few years. But if you had sand, lots of water, and you don't ever freeze during the year, well, you're in a whole different spot. So yeah, it all depends on where you're at in terms of how much we would feel comfortable with, um, you know, being able to sit out there because you only need a tiny little bit of boron, just a little bit. Take a look on the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app and you'll see how much your crop needs for your yield goal. All right. And then the last one is, would you only do this on corn or should I consider trying some of this on soybeans as well? I'd try it on both. Now, corn needs more than boron. All right. Corn needs more boron than soybeans do. So I, I'm, I'm not saying I would do much on beans, but I, I would do a little bit. Yes. I, I try, try some stuff out, and then you're going to find out if that actually impacts yield. I can just tell you on our own farm where we have higher soil test levels of boron, then our yields are a little bit higher. So we have found so far that we can spend some money. Can't go nuts like Darren said, but we can absolutely spend some, and it's, it provides a decent return. Okay. Thanks for the questions, Todd. We really appreciate that. Let's take one from Matt in Northwest Indiana. He said, you talk about using ammonium sulfate out there with post-emerge herbicides, but there are also liquid products out there. The liquids are about 50 cents higher an acre. What do you think? Are they comparable to the dry AMS? All depends on what product you're spraying them with. For example, if it's Liberty herbicide, there's no way I'm using a liquid replacement product. Now, if it's true liquid ammonium sulfate, then it's fine. But you got to understand ammonium sulfate is one of the components to how Liberty actually works. You've got to have that in there. Now, if it's something um, like, let's say it's, well, dicamba. We always used to put ammonium sulfate with dicamba and the performance was better. But now, because they say that volatility is increased, plus the fact that when I throw the replacement product in and it works just as good as the ammonium sulfate, well, then I'm not as worried about it. So it all depends on what you're throwing it with. But don't forget, in most cases, people are selling you these liquid replacement products that aren't true AMS and they don't do all the things AMS does. Plus, they cost more. Thanks for the question, Matt. Really appreciate that. We're taking your calls and questions throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD or radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. Acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, nobody scrutinizes performance like you do. And acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, the consistent performance of Vasgro brand soybeans helps to keep your profitability out in front, offering leading agronomic expertise and 100% exclusive genetics for strong yield potential. Ask your dealer how much further you can grow when Asgro leads the way. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 
When it comes to competitive herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Weedmaster, Patriot, and Diablo for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're getting some tips from some of the top growers that we know, but also we would love to hear from you. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head out to North Carolina. Got Kevin Matthews with us right now. Kevin, how you doing? Oh, not too bad. A little wet out here. You know, it's it's interesting as we travel around and I know where we're at, it's super dry and just driving down the road, I was over at our ag PhD field day site today and just driving down the road, it was a cloud of dust heading down the road and not much wind. So I hate to be the guy that was following behind me today. So, you know, it does beg the question, how do you manage that? You, you guys can get really dry and really hot there too. Now you're overly wet. How do you manage nutrients in that kind of environment where it can vary so much? Well, we have to spoon feed everything. Uh, we can all those uh, single applications is a thing of the past now because you know we get to heavy. Like right now, we're just totally saturated. It's about as wet as you could imagine, and uh, you know the small grain has looked really bad. No one, no one's been able to keep the nutrients on the small grain, and then the rainfall, of course, is depletes those. So we'll have to come back and keep spoon feeding it. Um, because if you put it all out at one time, obviously it's going to leave you. Then you get to you get to heat in the summer times, and we thank the Lord for no-till because we keep that ground covered up, and we don't have the trans evaporation near as bad and with the no-till. So you just kind of have to work both both sides of the fence there to make it all work out. Yeah, that's just the way farming is. You can't just count on it's always going to be one way, so you can just manage it. you got to be a little flexible. Hey, you know, one other thing. We were talking a little bit earlier today just just here about plant tissue tests, and I know that, that I've chatted with you about this before, that that it's good information, but sometimes it seems like we, we put too much stock in it. We end up chasing our tails after after something. What have you been finding lately? I guess are you mainly looking at tissue tests as this is going to influence next year's plan, or are you still trying to influence certain nutrients this year? 
Yeah, that's a great point, and absolutely, it's it's all about the next crop or the or the next year you grow on that farm. So the 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 index, so to speak, or inventory, you might say, of tissue test that's done. You really need to document those tissue tests with the exact growth stage and the environment that's been around them to create that uh, analysis that you get in the results. So. I have, I look at the, we chart it all out on spreadsheets, and so I'm always carrying in my truck the previous multiple years of tissue data, and I look at the levels that we had and the environment we had, and then when I pull them for the current year, that tells me if, if I'm running in line or ahead or below, kind of gives me an indicator of the crop potential I have. But it's, you can... You can change those levels throughout the season, no question about that. With our drip irrigation, we can really change them much easier than we can in other aspects. Do a lot of foliar, but at the end of the day, to you know, try to put all your reliance on the results of those tissue samples, you can you can spend a lot of money and not get many yield results uh, out of it. So you got to be very careful. But it's certainly about managing for the next crop. And also, it's a good way to fill out, figure out the proper blend of um, nutrients that you need and start out early. Because I, I would prefer to load that plant down uh, early at, before planting and, um, or at planting. That way it's ready for the plant and you don't ever develop that deficiency. Yeah, I, I like that approach too. Of let's let's try and feed everything the best we can, and and figuring out that right blend, like you mentioned, is is kind of tricky sometimes. We were just chatting with a, a grower this morning that had really high phosphorus, really low zinc, and they were struggling to get enough zinc out there. Is there a nutrient or two that you guys struggle with in your part of North Carolina that you say, man, if we could just get this one in line all the time, we'd have it. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, zinc, zinc, boron, sulfur, always, always working with that. And uh, we got real high mag soils, and believe it or not, there will be times that we will be deficient in mag in the plant just because even though that nutrient's high in the soil, there's another element out there that's tying it up and it can't metabolize and take up through the roots. Yeah, that's exactly the one I was thinking about. And I, I know we we struggle with that one, too, where we've got high mag soils, yet our tissue test levels, which who knows if they're they're giving us the right indication, but, but they say that we're low, but we still have pretty decent yields. I, I just wonder if we can get that mag just right. Are you trying to foliar that one, or how do you do that when you've got high mag soils? Yeah, we normally it'll be in a foliar application, and then sometimes we actually on our soybeans we actually have it added to our fertilizer, even though we're high. Uh, but we found that if we add it along with a little uh, Molly and a uh, little boron, that it kind of it's got a synergistic effect. It just kind of works, but it's not like that on everybody's soils. And you kind of got to learn just play with it. And the way we come up with that was we studied soil test and studied tissue samples uh, for many years and we kind of looked at the limiting factor that we could identify and said well we're going to try to correct these and then move to the next and it don't seem like we ever get it all figured out. <laughs> no, no, the good Lord didn't set it up that way. He wants to keep us busy for a long time. Well, and, and I know it takes a lot of work, and, and certainly there's a lot of trial and error in farming. You figure out, okay, hey, this is working great, and then you get a drought year or you get a super wet year and realize, okay, well, that 
worked when it was one way but not the other way. One thing that I noticed, and I had the good fortune to be on your farm and, and take a look at some of your crops back a couple of years ago now, and I know looking at your soybeans, I was so impressed with what you were doing and your focus and attention to detail on that plant structure and shortening up internodes and wow, it just seemed like you had such a heavy pod load and lots of nodes without having to have something taller than me. I, I was impressed because I know on our farm, a lot of times when we really push things, our beans get too tall. Do you fight that too? Is that is too tall a soybean a challenge and something that you've been working on for a while? It was. That was the biggest challenge we had for many years. And we kept working and working and finally got a combination and uh, this past year, we was at 29 main stem fruiting nodes wow. with a 34-inch plant height. Um, that's That was the best we've ever done. We had a lot of our nodes down to one inch apart, which is, you know, that's the shortest we've been able to get them. Now, environment plays a role in it as well. But, uh, you know, if that plant, you can load it up too heavy, you can load it too light, and it'll, you know, it'll elongate. It's, it likes light, and plant dates are extremely critical. We're blessed to have a longer growing season than what you guys do, but then again, you guys have got so much sunlight. you got so many hours of sunlight. So you get the right maturity, and the right maturity may not be the maturity you've always done. So you got to play with those as well. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. There there are advantages and disadvantages everywhere you farm. And I, I think it's neat, like you, you mentioned, yeah, well, where we farm, we've got some sunlight. And where you're farming, you've got other advantages, a little longer growing season. It doesn't really matter what the advantages and disadvantages are. You just got to figure out how to get the most out of them for wherever you're farming. You mentioned that maturity thing, too. And I, I think that is a tricky one because just talking to, to growers that say, well, I'm really going to go for yield here. Usually it's increased planting population and go to a fuller season hybrid or variety. You're telling me that's not necessarily the way to get there. That's correct, yeah. And this, um, our typical seeding rates, uh, general farming practice is 110,000 to 125,000. Our high yield irrigated, uh, we've, uh, 140 is the highest we've been. Our advisors really like us to be at that 135, 140 range, but we're also, we did a plot earlier, or in 2020 actually, and it had a lot of frost damage. We was going to reseed it, and my daughter, Danielle, she asked it, we'd just leave it, and she wanted it to be hers to manage. I said, fine, it's yours. I don't want to look at it. It looked pretty bad. We had a final stand of 70,000, and the field averaged 98 bushels. So <laughs> well, we I, I have to say, no Kevin, it was, it was probably the manager more than just the population. <laughs> Maybe she really put <laughs> – you know, now I've – I, I think you just got to pick lots of fields. Say, all right, Danielle, these ones are all yours if you can do the same thing. Hey, Kevin, it's great talking to you again. Uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you. Y'all stay safe in that cold weather. You bet. <laughs> you as well. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, being able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operations. 
See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective, contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPVD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from safely inside the Morton Studios today. It is below zero Fahrenheit outside today for a high temperature where we farm. Hopefully it's a little nicer where you're at. The good thing here, though, Brian, there's no insects, uh, no diseases that are surviving outside. At least at least we're getting rid of them. That's a positive. Yeah, I was just, as a matter of fact, looking at the frost depth right now. It's gone down quite a bit, but, I mean, we're still only at 21 inches deep. And so South Dakota State University has a weather station right at the site of the Ag PhD field day. So it's just about a mile and three quarters east of where we sit with the Morton studio here doing this radio show. Well, anyway, if you look at 21 inches deep, I go back to the year 2019. And the reason why 2019 started out as such a disaster is our frost depth that spring got down to 41 inches deep. 41! It was ridiculous. And the problem was it, it was a super cold March and April. 
So I don't mind, I mean, I don't love a couple weeks of cold in February, but I don't mind it so much. It's not that big a deal as long as our March and our April are okay. But we had one of the coldest Marches ever in 2019 and a super cold April in 2019. Not to mention the very cold January and February. We were below normal for temp five months in a row to start out 2019. So hopefully that doesn't happen for us again. But yeah, 21 inches, that would be about normal for us to get to at this time of year and about normal for us going into a spring. So I don't mind it, but absolutely it does kill some bugs. We like the super cold temps, bugs, weeds, diseases, all that kind of stuff. At least we have a little bit lower pressure going into the season because of those cold temps. So there are a few advantages. Well, I, I don't think the frost is quite as deep in Virginia, but we've got Heath Cuttrell on with us right now to talk a little bit about high yields. Heath, thanks for joining us. What's happening? Well, you know, it's been cold out in Virginia, too. How are you guys surviving out there? Well, where we're at, it ain't been really that cold. Uh, it's been more wet than cold here. Uh, I think in the last uh, 42 days of our weather, we've had about 30 of them with rain. Wow. So, yeah, we're off to another bad start, it looks like, with the water again. Okay, so, you know, that's a big thing. We talk a lot about having enough oxygen in the soil, and certainly if you get too much water, it fills in all that airspace with water instead. So what happens in your soils? Are, you, are they light enough they've got some decent natural drainage to them, or, or does it just slow you down getting in there? What's the big challenge? So, yeah, we, uh, where we're at, uh, most of our land right here on the, the East Coast, uh, we have a lot of darker, heavier lands. Uh, and obviously the water takes a big toll on that as far as uh, pushing the oxygen levels out of it. Um, we got winter wheat growing right now, and it, it looks pretty rough. Uh, we planted our wheat a little earlier than normal. We got a beautiful, perfect stand on our wheat. And only, you know, you could only imagine it's red as it can be it looks looks pretty horrible so it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with it yeah you know at at this point uh you're just hoping that it dries out enough you can do some top dressing soon or what's the game plan yeah so we're we're ready to start top dressing i'd say in about a week or so but you know it the 10-day forecast is showing rain steady just about every day i don't know what's going on it's like we're living a damn rainforest around here now yeah, 30 out of 42 days is pretty tough for, for anywhere. I don't care where you're at. Uh, when when you look at the, the winter wheat, how big a deal is that for your farm? Is that something that's always in your rotation? And, and is it a profitable crop for your farm normally? No. Uh, matter of fact, the only reason I grew it this year was the prices of wheat kind of got back to where they should be. Uh, I hadn't grown wheat in two years, and I thought it might be an opportunity to jump on board with, uh, you know, some uh, – higher end of you know that maybe the wheat prices would stick around which they have but um i don't know what's going on with our weather right here where we're at but it just seems like we can't catch a break on the rain um last year you know uh right here where we're at a normal year for rainfall was about 46 inches last year i think we had 82 inches through the year oh my goodness yeah so, that's, yeah that's corn not... corn suffered Corn and beans suffer dramatically right here where we're at. Okay, so talk to us about this winter wheat then. Do you follow that with soybeans? And if so, have you had pretty good luck doing that in a double crop situation? Yeah, on most circumstances, if uh, if the weather is normal, 
uh, you will double crop some beans in there, and uh, most of the time, double crop beans will make you know roughly around half forties to mid fifties, and you know that's that can be pretty profitable if you got uh, any um, advantages on the markets. Sure, sure. All right, uh, talk to us about corn then. Now, if you're you're staying wet, it's probably going to delay you a little bit getting in. Is planting date a huge factor for you in getting the high yields that you've been getting for corn? I believe absolutely it is. Uh, we normally like to try to start planting our corn here uh, the first week to the second week of April, so we still got some time to uh, hopefully this this weather will actually dry out. Uh, hope and pray it does, anyways. Uh, and if we can get in there in a timely manner, yeah, we uh, we can raise a pretty good crop of corn, obviously with the the black, heavier ground that we have right here where we're at. Sure. We, we were just talking with Kevin Matthews down in North Carolina, and one of the things that he was talking about was maturity of of the hybrids that he's putting in the ground. And, and for him, he says sometimes guys are pushing it a little too far on that. What do you see in your area? You plant What is a full-season hybrid, and where are you getting your most yields? Is it in the full season or is it a little bit earlier? No, our full-season corn is where we do the best with. Uh, I like about 114 days corn uh, as high as 118 day corn uh but we'll start you know with 106 to 108 day corn just to kind of get everything up and going uh keep keep our elevator going start you know everything needs to be freshened up beginning of the year that's why we try to plant a little bit of earlier corn but like you said the full season corn is where it's at for us now when you mentioned freshen up in the spring do you do some light tillage do you do some strip till what what do you mean by freshen up We'll uh we'll go out there and we'll rip all of our corn ground. Um, then we'll uh, fill cultivate or uh, we run some true tandems uh, and, and make sure our seed bed is what needs to be. I feel I'm a firm believer in a good seed bed. Yeah, having things even definitely helps to to get that crop up even. How about when you start? fertilizing that do you do any fall fertility at all or with that much moisture i'm betting you're probably doing a lot of it in season as as you're planting and then uh, spoon feeding a little bit throughout absolutely yeah we don't do any fall fertility just for the fact uh, uh we don't want it to wash away obviously um yep yep or uh if we had to if we had to to change where we wanted to plant it due to excessive water amounts uh we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves i guess now, in terms of, of disease issues in the corn, is it gray leaf spot in your area or southern corn leaf blight? What do you get? What's the worst one to manage? Uh, I'd say the uh, the southern leaf blight or the uh, um, well, I'd go with that. We don't have a whole lot of we don't have a lot of terrible uh, disease pressure for our corn. I don't think we do. Anyways, okay. nothing. That's really hard pressing from year to year. Excellent. Yeah, that, that can sure vary depending on where you're at. And, and just talking with growers along the East Coast, it there it seems like there's some pockets too where guys fight things and then there's there's others where it's not too bad. I know it makes a big difference for, for farmers in terms of what they're going to do to manage. Uh, we're talking with Heath Cuttrell out in Virginia right now in case you're just joining us. Heath, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. I, I, I know you guys have been super wet, but hopefully that turns around here for you real soon. That's right. Hey, good talking with you guys, and good luck to everybody this spring. 
You bet. Thanks a lot. You know, Heath mentioned 82 inches of rain in 2020. That's that's got to be tough to manage. There's no doubt about that. We we've had some yeah, heavy moisture years. That's as much as we've had the last three wow. years in total, and those three years include the two wettest years ever. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, that's tough. That's tough. Well, hopefully it turns around because one thing about it, if you're going to get high yields, you've got to have good soil conditions out there and plenty of oxygen in there to for our roots and for our soil microbes. We'll continue uh, taking tips from some top growers, and we'll also take your calls at 844-44-AG-PHD. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen from conception to completion. There's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Revitech Fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker-treated nitrogen. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 
844-AG-PHD. Let's head back to the phone lines here. We get James with us in central Wisconsin asking the question that I kind of figured was going to come up today. How are you doing, James? I'm great. Can you hear me okay? You bet. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, it's only two below here, so we're doing really well, and no mosquitoes flying. Perfect. So, uh, the gentleman before said he had 70, 80 inches of rain, and we were really wet here in Wisconsin the last two years, so I finally took Brian's advice, and I spent like 20000 tiling a field so I can maybe raise something out again next year. So, but, so if this is global warming, I was watching TV last night, and... Uh, Microsoft had come on uh, Bill Gates and he was showing tractors and cows and saying farmers are pretty much all to blame for the green machine here. So I was really set back that we were being blamed for uh, the problems with the environment when we are the environmental people. And uh, I'm glad you say a little bit on it, but we're going to have to do more uh, if, if we've got that much power and money against agriculture that's all i wanted to say today well uh thanks for the comment james we appreciate that we with our our society in general right now to me it's disturbing because if you're rich or if you're great a great athlete all of a sudden you are now an expert in the environment in political science in government in policing uh you name it and it's a joke. So when you start taking a look at agriculture to say that we're the ones responsible for global warming, are you insane? We're the ones that are reducing the effects of global warming. Because let's stop and think about it for just a second. What's the number one greenhouse gas? Carbon dioxide. And guess what? As we have more human beings, what do we emit? Carbon dioxide, along with methane, by the way. So I mean, we can solve global warming real fast if we kill all the human beings. Now, I'm not going to suggest we kill all the human beings, okay? But there probably will be people who will go that far. It's like, come on. This is nuts. All we need is more agriculture, not less. We need more plants. We need higher yields. That breathes in the carbon dioxide, and it emits what we want, which is oxygen. It's amazing. And so I, I, I guess I'll say, too, we just believe that sometimes we're stepping like eight steps down the road. Um, it, so just for example, uh, to go all green with everything and everything's got to be renewable. Well, we have plenty of renewable solutions that we aren't even using today, like ethanol and soy diesel and things like that. How about we start using that stuff instead of, oh, we're going to go to all battery power and, oh, it's all solar and, and wind for generating electricity. And now you see what's happening. They're rolling blackouts all over the place. Well, in the meantime, you can't die first before we get to this green solution. And I'll tell you what, if you don't have power today in the Midwest, you're going to die. That's just the way it is. I mean, we're 50 degrees below freezing here. So if you don't have power and heat, you're dead. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's very, very frustrating to us. But when you simply step back and look at the facts, instead of just listening to all these celebrities talking about all their great wealth of knowledge, well, Bill Gates is a fantastic guy and a super smart computer wizard. He is not the leading expert in, in environmental science. So, I mean, I guess 
I'm I'm very very frustrated by that. I understand where your concern is, uh, but we just think it's ridiculous that all these celebrities get all the press and actual science does not. So anyway, it, I would also suggest for anybody listening today, just look at the maps on where the pollution's coming from. It's not coming from my farm, I can tell you that. It's over Los Angeles, it's over New York City, it's over Chicago, it's over Toronto, it's over Vancouver. A lot of these places where it's uh, we have a tremendous amount of people and then they aren't using 85% ethanol like they should be. They aren't using 100% soy diesel like they should be. They don't have enough plants like what would help breathe in all that carbon dioxide and convert it over to oxygen. So if they just follow the actual science, we'd be fine. But instead, they want to make up their own things. They always want to make farmers the villains when farmers are actually the saviors. So I agree with you, James. Thanks a lot for the call. Really appreciate it. You got any any other comments for us or anything else you'd like to say before we let you go? I'll see you at uh, the field day there in uh, July. Our plans to come out. So. All right. Sounds great. Thanks for the call, James. Bye-bye. Let's down to Kansas. We're getting tips from top growers today. we got Brett Olke on with us right now. Hi, Brett. How you doing? How's it going? Good. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. You got a, you got a number of different crops that you're raising down there. Is the recipe similar when you go from one crop to the next in in terms of hey i gotta get the soil fertility to a certain balance or do they each have their own little tweaks they'll each have their own little tweaks you know but for the most part it's start with the basics get your soil squared to where it needs to be and and that'll cover about 95 percent of it yeah i find for us where where we can get dry and i know you can sure get dry and hot to where you're at that if we at least have fertility built up, we got a shot. And if we start with a little bit of moisture in the soil, which we're not doing this year, ours is pretty dry. And I, I've got a feeling yours is pretty dry as well. That that can be another piece of the equation. So how are you managing that through through a dry season? So we're just uh, essentially planning ahead, um, knowing that moisture is our number one yield limiting factor currently. So we're going to cut back our planting populations. Uh, still keep the same fertility for the most part because a lot of the corn genetics that we plant, stuff like that, have a good enough flex that they can compensate. That's where we're currently going. Yeah, you mentioned the flex, and I think that's something, too. We do get a lot of questions from from other growers. All right, talk to us about what you look for in flex. Do you, do you prefer to get something that flexes for girth or something that flexes for length, or, or are you just looking for any hybrid that can add some more kernels on when conditions are right? Just any hybrid, ultimately, that can add uh, any bit of kernels, whether it's, uh, you know, rows around, length, or... We've now gone to the point of finding hybrids that will actually double ear and put on a second, maybe even a third ear, and add flex that way. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned that. We we get questions last year when conditions were pretty good in the mid part of the season for uh, a number. Well, 
quite a few areas actually mid-season it looked okay and and we talked to growers man i've got a second ear on some of these things how do i know if i'm going to keep that or not and also a lot of tillering where where they had good early fertility and good rains do you do you notice that i mean do you see that second ear come on and lose it a lot or if you get that second ear, you're pretty successful in keeping it you know, that's where, like I said, we're keeping our soil fertility the same, but cutting back our plant populations so that that way, if we do get favorable growing conditions to produce that second year, we've got the fertility there to keep it. Um, a lot of times what we see is if the plant is happy enough to put on a second or maybe even a third year via a tiller, We'll usually keep it, but it might only be half of the potential that we had just because of moisture. We've got the fertility there. We just need the moisture to finish it out. Sure, sure. Okay, how about sorghum? What do you see there on a year like this? It seems like a year that might favor sorghum. So, yes, there actually is a lot, a huge uh, push this year for sorghum, multiple reasons. Um, number one, the dryness. Number two, with China buying. Um, last time I talked to my pioneer agronomist, for our area, their sales were running at like 135% of normal. So that wow. I mean we're increasing production about 35% year over year. So yeah, it's fantastic to have some of these opportunities, especially coming out of 2020. We're we're looking for any shot where we can make just a little bit of money. Uh, talking with Brett Olkey down in Kansas. Brett, we really appreciate having you on. Thank you so much for for the tips today. And I'm going to keep my eyes out for those double ear possibility hybrids and see what we can do see if we can keep that ear on there as well sounds good all right thanks brett yep talk to you later listening to ag phd radio having a little fun talking about different crops and some things we can do to get high yields we're getting a lot of questions in in the ag phd mailbag we'll dive right back into those coming up next It's about time. Time for unprecedented season-long foliar disease protection. Formulated for a convenient at-plant application, new first-of-their-kind Inferro Zyway brand fungicides deliver complete inside-out protection from day one. From root to tassel, stalk to leaf. From planting through harvest. The active ingredient, Flutriophol, moves from the soil through your plants as your corn grows. Change the way you approach foliar disease protection from the start with first-of-their-kind Inferro Zyway 3D and Zyway LFR fungicides, available only from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides qualify for the exclusive agronomic and economic incentives of the FMC Freedom Pass program. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. 
Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we're going to dig into the Ag PhD mailbag here right now. If you have a question for us, you can call us 844 44 Ag PhD or email us radio at agphd.com. Got this one in from Troy, and he said, I wonder what your thoughts are on this. Can I put three to six ounces of ammonium thiosulfate per acre with my burn down for no till beans without impacting my germination? Well, if it's just burn down, you're not going to impact germination. What I'd be more concerned about is, will you impact the herbicide? We often would tell people back in the straight Roundup days, and you guys are doing just Roundup, we'd say, look, if you want to throw, let's say, liquid 28% in, it's fine, but you got to get the spray grade stuff. And they go, what do you mean? It's just all 28%. No, it's not, because there's a lot of stuff that gets trucked to you that it's come in a tanker that had some other fertilizer in there. And what we worry about is especially dirt and other contaminants that might be in there that could start to negate your roundup. Not completely, but it could start. Okay, so that's more of my concern than anything. But when you're only talking three to six ounces, I mean, that's nothing. I I will say for us on the farm, we used to use seven gallons of ammonium thiosulfate. That was the carrier that's always sprayed out there with our pre's. So whether it was burned down or uh, uh, just pre-work, we were spraying it with ammonium thiosulfate at seven gallons, not seven ounces, seven gallons to the acre. So I'm I'm not worried about it. You're going to be fine. Okay. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. This one comes to us from Tyler in North Central South Dakota. So we've got soil tests here and also a, a product sheet. So Tyler says, we're long-term no-tillers, diverse cropping with wheat, corn, soybeans, and sunflowers. Our pHs have been coming down in some fields. We've never used lime before, but we're down to like a 5, 6 pH in spots out yep, here. Yeah, so you need some. So we're talking about doing some. And, of course, in our area, the lime source is pelletized lime. So I sent a well, sample of that, too. Just wondering, in no-till, how effective will that be? Because we're going to be broadcasting it. And also, how very, long until you see the pH in? 
increase right away. So, and by right away, let's keep in mind it's it's South Dakota, so it's cold, it's dry, so it's not immediately. But the point is, you're going to see it in the first year. Now, will it all be available in the first year? No, but some will be available. The pH will start going up. You'll see a difference between spring and fall. That pH will start going up. But I'll say this, and the the product you suggested is a good product, so I, I don't have any issue with that. But I would say, like for us on our, our farm, we found a cheaper alternative, and that was water treatment lime. So I would ask around to any of the rural water sources, any of the municipal water sources, if they have lime, and then test it. Because what we found is our water treatment lime was better than any ag lime that was out there, plus it had free nutrients in it and the heavy metals weren't bad. So I go, well, wait a second, why would we not do this? This is an amazing deal. We get free fertilizer, we get our lime dirt cheap. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's an awesome deal. So at least be checking that out. But yes, you need to get some lime out there and I'll, I'll say the same thing I always do. It's gonna vary the pH you want based on the crop. So with, if it was alfalfa, you gotta get that pH up near seven. If you're just talking corn, soybeans, and wheat, then I'm not too worried about it. Then pH in the low sixes is probably going to be fine. Here's the other thing that I wanted to throw out there with his soil test, and this is what we commonly see in those long-term no-till fields. 6 to 24 inches, 6.7 pH. So pH perfect. It's the 0 to 6 inch range where it's at a 5.6. So at least on the one test, let's see what the other one is. Uh, 5.5 in the top 6 inches, 7.3 in the lower. So and and I'll go back to even when we, we were putting lime on years ago and our dad goes, well, why do you need to do that? The the deep soil is fine. <laughs> I go, well, yeah, it is. But a lot of our roots are up top and a lot of our fertility is up top and I want more fertility availability. And we started putting some lime on and our yields went up. Just don't overdo it. That's probably the number one thing I, I always tell people. All right. Thanks. for. Oh, one other thing uh, that Tyler yep. had. So he said, we have been zone soil sampling, but we plan to do some grid sampling this spring. How big a deal is that when we're making a lime wreck? Um, well, it's an enormous deal, but it's not grid or zone. That's not the right question. It's the size. So I'm fine if your zone size is only one or two or maybe three acres. But if your zone size is 30 acres or 20 acres, it's way too big. And you're not going to properly identify where you need that that lime. So we went down to one acre grids. And I'll, again, I don't care if it's grids or zones, but it's got to be small, 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 small. Before you go investing all that money in the lime, you have to know that you need it. Because this is something where if you overdo it, your yields will start going backwards. That ended up happening to us. And I don't I just don't want that to happen to you. All right. Thanks. Thanks for the questions, Tyler. Good luck to you. All right. This comes from our friend George over in, I believe, Bulgaria. And he's got a bunch of soil tests here for us to take a look at. He said, I'm just wondering uh, what you would see in my soil test if you see some general trends that you would start addressing first and just looking through real quick it looks like we've got pretty heavy soil a lot of CECs in the upper 20s to into the 30s we've got about a two percent base saturation k which it's going to cost some money if you want to get that up to four no doubt about that i i was drawn right to the micronutrients brian on there and the ph we had some ph's down in the fives as well 
Yeah, so Darren had just taken a couple notes here, so I'll just read off what he had was some of the coppers, 10 to 20 parts per million. So when yeah, your copper- Especially at the last page. Right, look at yeah, some I of saw those. that. Uh, so when your copper is that high, you, you, you got to stop putting copper on. I don't know how you're getting the copper out there. Our guess is it's probably, it probably has something to do with livestock, but quit putting copper on there. And, and here's why. Because your phosphorus to copper ratio is in those areas- like two to one at best, two to one. Well, it needs to be more like 50 to one to maximize yield, not two to one. And I'm not saying it has to get 250, but here's the other thing. So right away, the easy fix, and a lot of people hear, well, it's got to get to 50 to one, then I got to put a whole bunch of phosphorus on. Well, that's fine. But the thing is, number one, phosphorus is expensive. And two, you can deplete your phosphorus levels fast. You can't deplete your copper levels fast. And for evidence of that, just look at the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. You'll see how much a normal crop takes off for copper versus phosphorus. It's obviously many times more pounds of phosphorus than it is copper. So quit putting copper on those spots. There are spots that actually need copper, though. I mean, there are some that are below two parts per million. We like seeing in the range of two to five parts per million, something like that. And then generally speaking, you're in pretty good shape. But yeah, got to get the potassium up. That's That would be one of my biggest things. I'd keep bumping the phosphorus. And uh, beyond that, yeah, micronutrients. Zinc, he's one part per million or less in some spots. Copper's low in spots, super high in others, but super low in, uh, in some. And then boron is almost non-existent. So, yep, got to address micros and uh, certainly P and K. All right, thanks, for the, thanks for the question. Uh, get some soil tests here. One more, Brian. This one is from Joe. And he said, I got three soil test zones and I'm sending this to you. I zone spread my dry fertility. This is all from one field. Okay. Yeah. pH really high. Um, you're in the eights. Now, part of the reason why it's high is your sodium is slightly high. Now the good thing. When you say high, what, yes, what is the pH? I, yep, eights? Yeah. You said? Yeah. Mid, yeah. Mid eights. So low to mid eights. But anyway, Part of the reason it's high is your high sodium levels, and they aren't ridiculous right now. You're just over 1% sodium in a base saturation test. So that's fine. It's not hurting yield a lot, but the reason why I'm bringing this up is you've got to get it addressed now because we have people all the time that end up with 5, 10 uh, percent sodium and they go, well, how, how'd this happen and everything? And I go, well, it happened over probably the last 30 years. So catch it now. And most likely you got a drainage issue. So I, uh, and I see where he's located at in Southeast North Dakota, everybody in Southeast North Dakota. And I do mean, everybody needs to put drain tile in the ground. In my opinion, if I owned the ground, there's no question. That'd be the first money I spent. So get that in there, and then that's going to really help you. Beyond that, it's just let, and you can say, well, boy, I got to get that pH down. Look, how about let's get the nutrients up first, and then we'll worry about the pH. So what I'm where I'm going with this is one of the big things Neil Kinsey talks about quite often is, hey, if your pH is off, that means your nutrients are out of balance, and in this case. Your potassium is really, really low. Your sodium's a little high. Your phosphorus is really low. So anyway, you, you got a number of things to address there as well as a few micronutrients. Oh, and on the micronutrient side, uh, zinc is low, even though they say it's high, it's low. And then you got a whole bunch of others where I don't even have test results. We need more information. Thank you for that. We really 
appreciate you sending in those samples. We're always happy to look at, at soil samples if we can help out. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.